Hey, what's up? My name is DJ Artistic. I'm an international DJ from Los Angeles, California, with a deep love of music. I'm joined by my co-host, E.B. What's up, everybody? I am E.B. I am a self-professed musicologist, writer, blogger, and content creator based out of Brooklyn. I love soul music, and I have a deep passion for Black culture. I want to welcome you all to Behind the Wheels. Each episode will engage in stimulating dialogue about music, culture, artists we forgot about, artists who we love now, and those on the come up. To start us off, if you could travel back in time, what time period in music would you want to experience? All right, so this is good because this is a question that goes through my head every day, all day. For me, it is the 1970s. <laughs> yeah, as you know me. It's the 1970s without a doubt. I mean, just the vocalists from that time period and the live instrumentation is, you know, those things that we don't get anymore. That's unbeatable. Uh, I could probably see myself working Philadelphia International Records <laughs> or Stax, Sal Soul, you know, yeah. making some history. I mean, come on, Gamble and Huff, come on, in the 70s? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there's it's so many elements about the music in the 1970s that I think have laid the foundation for the stuff that we are still listening to today. And I probably would have been at every disco they had. Everyone. At what the about disco you? parties? I can see it. You, you already got the Philly beard, so you would have fit hey, in perfect if you were listen, there. Yeah. Listen, I'm trying to be as Philly as I can. Philly is where it's at. Apparently, that's that's where we need to be. I feel it. I feel it with that. The 70s, similar to the 90s, is that the way I see it, it, it was a couple different periods, like the early 70s versus the late 70s. The sound changed up. The fashion changed up a little bit. The parties and everything changed up. If you had to pick between the 70, the 74-ish era or 75, 79, and of course, neither of us were there to see it, but we have an idea just from the music that we're into, from knowing what was released. Uh, what side of the 70s do you think you kind of lean lean more to? I'll say 75 to 79, only because yeah, yeah. we got a different variety. We got the live stuff. We got the disco. We got the funk. We got a little bit of everything right before we moved into like the 80s with the boogie era. So the later part of the 70s. I get that. Yeah, I think as far as the time period for me, I would probably say the same thing as far as that mid late seventies. I think um, the decade kind of came from the. It started off coming from the civil rights era, so a lot of the music was a little bit more serious in tone, and yeah, it was it was some classic classic slow jams in those early seventies. But by the time we got to seventy five, when the funk, when the disco came in, came in, it was just a whole different level. And for me, especially being from LA. We love Parliament, so like Parliament Funkadelic, <laughs> like I can't imagine having on some, uh, having on some, what's it called, some platforms and a afro even bigger than the one I have right now, and some Boosie Collins shades on. Like Come I feel on. like that era just had to be where it was at when it comes to parties. Just talking to some of my neighbors who are in like their fifties and early sixties, they told yeah. me that going to the forum and seeing Parliament live was just a whole different experience. And everything in the 70s, remember, everything was black is beautiful. So it was just yeah. like this ultimate black experience, this expression of love, of freedom, of just, you know, self-awareness that I miss. But yeah, 70s, definitely later part of the 70s, mid to late 70s, I'll say. I think so, for sure. I would say this, uh, the same era as far as like the uh, disco parties. Like It's funny whenever I read about Studio 54, because it, mm. it reminds me of like the Hollywood clubs in a sense, only because of the whole... Um, exclusivity to it so it feels like it was so yeah. hard to get into and you probably heard the story about chic and how they created the song uh yeah the, the um the freak like the freak Come they on. couldn't get they couldn't get into the club and they already had hits but they couldn't get in because it they was just that exclusive in. and they they made 
probably one of the biggest songs that got played there because they couldn't get in that night. So that that song was a response. They changed the lyrics up because they wanted they to be radio that, yeah. friendly. <laughs> but yeah, at first they were saying F off, like basically mm-hmm. letting them know. So I would definitely roll with that uh that mid-late 70s. From there, we're gonna move into our segment of the show that we call Beat Match. So how this works is we're gonna pick two artists and put them head to head and argue to see who will come out on top in a battle. So to refresh everyone's memory, uh, you know, I, I won uh, last week, you know, I, I won that battle we had. It was Tribe versus Outcast. Mm. I love them both, but mm. everybody saw how I took that victory, you know, because Tribe, you victory. know, they... Wow. Yeah, yeah. Big word. I mean, I, I I barely remember that. I don't I don't remember that going down, so I'm sure the listeners don't either. But uh, I mean, who are yeah. we debating this week? I mean, same way that you, you didn't remember how much heat the tribe has, you know, but any, <laughs> anyway, so this week we're going to do it oh. like this. So, uh, uh, everybody, everyone li- likes seeing these battles. Uh, these battles have been a real big thing on social media and it's been keeping us engaged. And one of the biggest ones that we debated was of course, Teddy Riley versus uh Babyface. But a lot of us felt that it should have been, uh, it would have been even more fun or a better, ba- uh, better matchup, I should say. If it had been L.A. Reid and Babyface versus uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And I think with that, we should probably uh, get into that. I think that would be a good matchup. And, you know, since you're my guest, you know, I will let you pick who you think <laughs> would come out on top in that battle. Let's see if uh Okay. All right. So Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis and Babyface and L.A. Reid, those are the dynamic duos of music production. Um, yeah. I'm going to go with Babyface and L.A. Reid. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm happy you said that because I'm definitely going Jimmy Jam and Terry. Each of us will have three minutes or less to make our case. The other will have a chance for rebuttal at the end of us making our cases. And then we'll have a 30 second closing argument. So our producers, Melissa and the lady will pick the winner. And since I picked first, you know, and I won last time, I'll let you go ahead and Mm, argue first. Wow, he won one time, and that ego is crazy, man. Let's get to All it. All right. Hey. So for me, it doesn't get any more classic than Babyface and L.A. Reid. You got these two young cats that started off with just a dream. L.A. was a drummer, and Babyface was a writer and a multi-instrumentalist. Um, and then I think earlier, you, you, you mentioned Bootsy Collins. We talked about the 70s, right? Yeah. 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 Bootsy Collins actually gave Babyface that name, so his stamp is official. You know, Babyface out the gate. I mean, they were doing big things. In 83, he wrote Slow Jam for Midnight Star, and that became one of the biggest slow jams of all time. Even Monica had to remake that on her album with Usher. I mean, and then you got him. Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was. I mean, you're still singing it. Yeah. I mean, come on now. And then him and LA were in the deal together where they gave us another classic song, Two Occasions. That's like everybody from the 80s. That is your teenage love song. That is your first crush. That is who you're thinking about. It does not get more classic than that. And then if you want to talk about work they did for other people, I mean, Karen White, Pebbles, The Whispers, Johnny Gill, Tevin Campbell. Then they gave us LaFace and they introduced the world to two of the biggest groups in music today. You got Tony Braxton and then you got TLC. And then the, the yeah. Boomerang soundtrack. Come on. Boomerang, that movie. We got Tony Braxton. We got Tribe Called Quest all on one soundtrack. Yeah, it was it was so fire. I'll give it to you. 
You were right. just saying that LaFace, LaFace Records, without LaFace, LaFace and Uptown, without LaFace, we don't get to where we are now in music. And that's only possible because of Babyface and Ellie Reed. I get that. I get that. Okay. I mean, I'll say I'm, I'm, I'm an obvious fan of, of both of them for sure. Babyface has some classic records. One of the best songwriters ever. Top three, if you ask me, as far as songwriters. But that's right. when it comes to this overall production, me being who I am and what I enjoy, I got to go uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry. So mm. they have a similar background. I mean, they both came. They all from the Midwest, basically. Yeah. They came from that Minnesota sound. They came from initially the band that we all know called The Time. So, so the same way that uh, Babyface was stamped by Boosie Collins, they were stamped by Prince. And to me, I mean, I love Boosie, but Prince is Prince. And I mean, they came through with that Morris Day sound with The Time being musicians with their, their band. Then they basically split up and then started doing their own thing. And they took it back about the same era, those early, early 80s. They had everything from the uh, Jimmy Jam was doing just even low key LA rap cuts like Bad Times from uh, Captain Rap. But aside from that, he had SOS Band. He had those those tracks like Just Be Good to Me. And that's just one of those bass lines you still listen to and play this day. Indeed, and, indeed. And, and before you even got to the whole Janet era, they had the songs, they had the Sherelle and Alexander O'Neill, Saturday Love. We still sing that. I mean, young kids always uh, always sampling that song, and I didn't realize until a couple years ago it's the same verse, first uh, and second verse, but they sang it so much differently that you didn't you didn't even realize it. It's like Alexander came in with that with that bass, and it's like, hold up, it's that's the same verse, but he sang it different. So they 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 had a whole. One thing I'll say is that they had a lot more range than Babyface and uh, and L.A. Reid. So you get into Janet alone. If you did an actual battle with them, just 20 songs for each, Janet got 20 that could probably compete with Babyface's 20 with everybody he ever, he ever worked with. I mean, Janet had the rings. I mean, everything really? from, from the mm. 80s. Think about it. The 80s, she had the funny how time flies and what have you done for me lately and the miss you much. You get into 90s Janet. You get into early 90s Janet. You have That's the Way Love Goes and Anytime, Anyplace. Then the Velvet Rope. They did the Velvet Rope. I mean, they basically took a little bit of everybody's style and made it even better. They took that kind of Timbaland bounce and then they did that I Get Lonely. Just the, the breakdown on there is just so cold. They, they did the... Um, they kind of took the Dilla style and they did the, the, the track with Q-Tip. They had the... Um, Got till it's gone. They even used a little bit of DJ Quick West Coast on some Go Deep. Like they took all these different styles and made that happen. And aside from those tracks, they they got into the pop. They had Jordan Knight from New Kids on the Block with a little Timbaland slash uh, My Boo ish type of like remix type track and gave him a hit at the carnival in the video. If you remember that one, they had tracks for Usher that You Remind Me. They even did Seduction, which I still play on some Slow Jam tip. I mean, they, they did the Johnny Gill. They had the New Jack Swing going on. We rub you the right way. Tender Love, Force MDs. I mean, I ain't got to say too much more, but I mean, I, I, okay, I got cut off, but I could have kept going for about five more minutes with this hit. You, like, you, you could yeah. have. You could have. Could and that would have been really nice for you. Um, you did mention that Bootsy gave Babyface the name much in the same way that Prince gave Jam, Jam and Lewis his stamp of approval. But Bootsy actually influenced Prince, if we're going to keep it real. You also mentioned, you know, the work that they've done has been so much more diverse. I mean, LaFace, come on, Donnell Jones, Sierra, As Yet, Goody Mob, and Outkast. You remember Outkast? We talked about them last week. Of course. Outkast, yeah. 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 Outkast, come on. So these are all legendary acts on the Babyface produced produced actual songs for them, though? 
They did do Not LaFace everybody, records, but they're, they're, but they're on they're on the record label. Well, they're okay. on the label, yeah. So yeah. we can okay. So let's break it down. Let's talk about them individually. Okay. I'll tell you what Babyface and L.A. Reid have done separately, and then you tell me what Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis have done separately. So Babyface, let's just be real. Three words: waiting to exhale. The soundtrack is classic. Come on, yep. you got him doing that. You got. L.A. Reid is a record man. I mean, Arista, Def Jam. So he's worked Michael Jackson, DJ Khaled, Kanye West, Rihanna, Future, and Justin Bieber. If you want to talk about pop hits and, and big names, Jordan Knight. <laughs> all right. Yeah, no, that's the old kid on the block now. So uh, it doesn't okay, matter which right, way you spin right. it. Babyface and L.A. Reid win both collectively and separately. I mean, as far as what they did label-wise, I'll give you that because Jimmy and Terry were – focused on being writers and producers but as far as it being a production battle yeah i have to still go jimmy and terry i mean yeah of course jordan knight was not timberlake but the fact that he <laughs> he was able to produce a pop song that got started you know number 10 with a with a whole different crowd from the r&b and i feel like yeah. they just had had a much more diverse sound i feel like baby face like i'm gonna say it and people might hate me mid to late 90s baby face some of those productions get a little bit repetitive and they don't really move me a whole lot he was an amazing writer, but some of the production uh, is just kind of the same loop, the whole thing. Jimmy Jam and Terry, I mean, just, I get lonely. Damn. Can we break it down, break it down? That's one of the coldest breaks you ever heard in your life, and you know it is. So I got to roll with them. That's that's my uh, closing argument, though. All right, closing argument. Um, you mentioned Janet a lot. Like, that's their only claim to fame. I, I would hope that it's not. And also... I mean, who can even hear what the hell she's saying? Like, you got to turn the stereo whoa, all whoa, the way up, all minute. that whispering. If you wait a minute, real. wait a minute. So, okay. if you want to talk about production, you got Babyface working with Aretha Franklin. You got Babyface working with Mary J. Blige. You got Babyface working with Faith Evans. You got Babyface working with TLC. Babyface working with Tony Braxton. Like these actual vocalists who sing from the diaphragm, and you can hear them. I mean, at the same time, Janet, Janet's voice is an instrument. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. When you hear Janet sing, uh -huh. it's like. It's an instrument. Uh -huh. Yeah, it really is. It's like, it goes so perfect with the music. Mm. And the thing is, yeah, that's their main, that's the main claim to fame. But she's Janet. Mm. I mean, she's like, Beyonce is the biggest artist in the world. And who is her biggest influence? Janet. So Janet is that. But even aside from that, I mean, Usher, the, the trash they did with Usher. Usher, uh, they did three songs on, um. What I would say the biggest, the biggest song, I mean, the biggest album was in the whole 2000s. So I could keep going, but you know, I keep getting cut off and all that. You so know, you don't but, have to keep going because I know, you know, big names: Tony Braxton, Mary J. Blige, Aretha Franklin, TLC. I mean, who, who did no more drama though? I mean, yeah, Mary. Who who produced that? Any it anyway, doesn't matter who was in the studio. Any, I'm telling you who was who was singing it. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, all right. So look, we gonna we can go for this all all day long. So. I'll go ahead and um I'll go I'll go ahead and let our producers go ahead and deliberate off the mic and pick the winner of this battle. Let's see if it's gonna be me again or if it's gonna be me again. Let's see. <laughs> Let's see about it. Wow, so confident. <laughs> All right. Uh so those were some <laughs> good arguments this week. It was a little challenging for me, but um I had to stay focused and really listen to the explanations here. So I'm gonna go with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Based on the, the songwriting and production as the duo alone, separately, L.A. Reid and Babyface have done so much. Like, just they're huge. But when I think about how their careers went beyond it and L.A. being an executive and all these things, like his influence on other people 
is different. I'm just looking at the songwriting production duo, mm. and I just can't, I can't vote against Janet and Velvet Rose. Uh, telling you, hey. telling you. But it, it really is the whole, the whole catalog for real. Man. I mean, we saying our right. one has spoken. That let's see about the second one. We might have a draw. We might need the audience. If uh, let's see, Melissa. The very first concert I ever went to was Janet Velvet Rope, oh, and so it has a right. special place <laughs> in my heart. Me and my sisters were dancing in the crowd, and Janet had her people bring us her autograph. Like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> see, I also Wait. went to that tour in Philly. Oh, okay. This is a nostalgic battle. This is what <laughs> but. It is. Let's roll it back, though. Uh-oh. Okay, let's roll it wait, back. Uh, wait, wait, wait. We actually split on this one. Oh. I feel uh, as a duo together, L.A. Reed and Babyface have had more of an impact on um, just like production wise. Um, and this is this is re- this was really hard for me because I was sitting here, but I was like, I just I have to go on based on what you guys are debating yourselves. Um, but yeah, L.A. and Babyface. Mm. Huh, so we tie. So I think I might do a poll or something because we need to see. We gotta have a tiebreaker. We can't both be co-winners. You know, you know. I don't see. You know, <laughs> I might have to get the audience. So well, audience, we, we do need a, we do need a tiebreaker. Um, I think definitely. so. I think so. So, audience, if you're listening, first of all, if you if you have any ideas for who you want us to uh, beat match next, go ahead and tweet us. I'm at DJRTISTIC. He is at, at EB4PREZ. So go ahead and um, mention us and then use the hashtag behind the wheels pod. But also let us know, you know, uh, who you think won this current one, you know. And for anybody that didn't get the the reference here, beat matches, B-E-A-T, beat, as in, I'm probably about to beat him again, but, um, you know, there's, I don't know what's going on here tonight. I feel like it's sabotage. We need to stop the count of the votes. We got to stop the count. All right, Trump. All right. (laughs) All right. There we go. I mean, we already know who who won this one. We just waiting for the Electoral College, (laughs) a.k.a. Social media. Social media. Come on, y'all. Yep. I'll be waiting for that. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to discuss a definitive album that changed our our lives, our shaped us. We're also going to discuss artists you may have forgotten about and newer artists that you should know about. While we're taking a quick break, please head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review the show. This helps other people find the podcast. I wanted to give a shout out to Mikey Van Halen. Mikey left a review that said the following. I started watching DJ Artistic on Twitch randomly and liked the vibe. The podcast is definitely dope. It's engaging. It kept me entertained. From the artist face-off to the subjects discussed, this podcast is definitely set for a bright future. I'm looking forward to seeing your success. I appreciate you, Mikey. Now back to the show. back and this segment here is called the drop this is when we discuss a hot topic going around on social media so today we're going to discuss a definitive album that changed our lives or shaped us all right so that's a hard one for me um the first one that comes to mind because i was thinking about this is the joan girls 1979 debut Mm. album um 
self-titled, of course. I mean, they got I'm at your mercy on it. They got who can I run to? We're a melody. Mm. Life goes on. You're going to make me love somebody else. That's the feelings killing me. That album. First of all, the production on there, because it's Philadelphia International Records. Come on, everybody. Kenny Gamble, Leon Huff. That's top tier right there. Dexter Wansell. And then you got these three sisters singing in this perfect harmony. And Mm -hmm. every note is on point. And I think they're um, their influence on other girl groups. They may not have gotten the recognition that some others have gotten, but people definitely studied their vocals and just the lyrical content. I mean, like I said, Dexter Wansell, like that's one of the biggest of the big. Like if you want to talk about people who have shaped black music, mm-hmm. Dexter Wansell, Leon, Kenny, like that's that's where I'm at. So that's I think sure. that probably just made me realize I heard music differently. I heard um, these three sisters taking these uh, these gospel harmonies and these beautiful tones and you know, singing for the devil. And it, it let me know that I could too can live my life in the same way that they sang that album. So that's my, the Jones girls, 1979 debut album. That was, that was the uh, debut. So that yeah. means Nights Over Egypt came from their second album. It was on their third. second. No, it was on their third album. Yeah. Third that album. Peace okay. Woman. Yeah. That was like 81, I think 81, 82. Yes, sir. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. Yeah. So Jones girls, I agree. I feel like that's one of those groups that, if you're a music head, you know about them, but a lot of younger folks wouldn't really know about them by name, but they know all their songs. And if they realize, of course, the Escape remix alone is probably what connects a lot of um, modern r and I would say 90s, 2000s fans to them. So oh, yeah. I'll definitely roll with that. So for me, um, it was between two, but I'll, I'll pick one that I would say was a little bit more definitive overall. So... My favorite album ever um, actually just celebrated its 27-year anniversary, uh, Snoop Dogg Doggy Style. Of course, growing up L.A. and even just being like into rap so much, but getting into rap at that same exact moment, like summer of 93, that was just the mm-hmm. biggest thing in the whole world. But uh, surprisingly, the album that I would say really defines me even more as a whole um, is an album that a lot of folks might not be super familiar with. Um Overall, it's uh, Quincy Jones Q's Jig Joint. Oh, and yeah. It's, it was a big album at the time, but it's, it's one of those albums that you don't really hear mentioned when it's like the, the canon of 90s albums. And because Quincy Jones is seen as more of a legendary producer, it's where I think even the uh, back, back on the Block might get a little bit more love, even though it's older, just because of the Tevin Campbell track. But right, right. I would say Q's Jig Joint. So the thing about this album is that I'll say this. Uh, 93 is when I got into rap, and I came from a household where my dad's a jazz musician who's also the church drummer. My mom was a music major as well, and she was a church singer in the choir. So we grew up hearing just, you know, Anita Baker and jazz, not even that much like Motown at all, more so the jazz gospel. But it was where 93, I was all about rap. So they realized that their little nine year old, eight year old son is into rap. They already kind of panicking, like, oh no, because some of the stuff I listened to, <laughs> I didn't know they were saying. So I would bring them cassette tapes, I would record Domino Ghetto Jam and just write the lyrics out. <laughs> and I would show them, like, yeah, it's my favorite song. And they were reading, just be be like, you know what this means? I'm like, no. Like, it says something about now I need a trick so I can handle my business. And it was just like to them, they're like, no, nah, this is just not, you know, what we want you listening to. And I got in trouble for sneaking to listen to Doggy Style. But all wow. that to say, Q's Juke Joint is the first album that me and my parents both enjoyed the same. Mm. 
So when they played this album all the time on road trips, I remember going to Vegas back in 96 and her playing that on repeat just because it was something that me and my cousin Nate, uh, we both enjoyed every song on there. And it was like the perfect blend of the old school and new school. So it was a way for both generations to connect, kind of building on what Back on the Block did. But to me, it was even a little bit more musical overall. So, of course, Back on the Block had the um, the classic um, with James Ingram and the Barge and all them. The um, What's it called? What's it called? The Secret Garden. Secret Garden, yeah. yeah. Secret Garden, of course. So Q's Juke Joint, the biggest song on there was probably... Um, the Tamiya, I think you put a move on my heart. Yeah, that song pretty is so cold. <laughs> yeah, and that song is just straight pure, pure R and B. But it was just so cold to me, and it was where I remember the uh, Killer Joe, Cool Joe, Mean Joe track just from being on like the radio before that album came out. But hearing it remade and having Tone Loke on the beginning of it, hearing Queen Latifah on there, it was a combination of these artists who I already like. So I'm telling my dad, "That's Queen Latifah. That's the Loonies. That's Coolio." And he's telling me well, that that's um you know that's so and so on this track and, mm-hmm. and that's uh that song is Moody's Move for Love so it had Take Six on there it had Ryan and Rochelle Pharrell come on yeah Rochelle Pharrell was on that and they yeah. had the Stomp remake they had Shaq and like as much as we we laugh at Shaq being a rapper he was actually a cool solid he rapper. was all right yeah he was yeah. all right he yeah. had some tracks so yeah. that album definitely defined uh my childhood I would say and the funny thing about uh, they had a song um, called Heaven's Girl and I think. It felt like Quincy was trolling us because we all know that Aaron Hall basically got his style from Charlie Wilson. <laughs> Charlie got his style from Stevie, but of course it was like Charlie got his style from Stevie. Aaron got his style from Charlie. R. Kelly got his style from uh, Aaron Hall. Aaron Hall, yeah. And then Quincy put Charlie, Aaron, and R. Kelly on this same song. And it's like, you could tell them apart, of course, but it's crazy hearing all three of them on the same song because... I mean, Aaron didn't care for R. Kelly that much and still doesn't because of the whole image, my, image yeah. thing. I was at a show at the Conga Room nine years ago, and he even said he he had an album coming out that was basically dissing R. Kelly because <laughs> he's going to name the album There Can Only Be One Me. Like, he's still uh, mad about it. So the fact that Quincy got them all in the same song was crazy. And the last thing I'll say about that album is they had a song called Slow Jams. And yo, speaking of your, your boy Babyface, he him. loves Slow Jams because he listen. has like, yeah. The original version, not the version that's on the album with Tamia. Yeah. The version with SWV, Slow Jams. Oh, yeah, because originally it was supposed to be Coco yeah. singing that. Yeah. That version, it's on YouTube for anybody listening who wants to go and listen to it. That yeah. is my favorite version. No, it's a great album. It's a great pick. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like that. I heard that was because I think Quincy was pushing uh, Tamia, so he wanted to get her on there instead. It was some type right. of politics, but... Right. Yeah, so that's the album that I'll go ahead and, and pick for that. So um, for everybody who's listening... If there's anything in the music industry that you would like us to discuss, go ahead and send us an email at behindthewheelspod at gmail.com. So for this next segment, we're going to go ahead and rewind back to some artists that you may have forgotten about. So, EB, uh, who would you like to discuss for this week? Um, I, on Twitter, uh, mentioned or listened to a song by Nicole Ray. And somebody was like, what? I've never heard this. She had more than one song. And I was like, "Wow, more than one song. Her, She had a whole first album, a whole second album, and hmm. a whole third album. And she's still working today. So Nicole Ray is who I have to discuss because that make it hot. I guess that's why. That song was just a monster. Like, it was huge. Yeah. On Make It Hot. It had uh, Missy, Timbaland, and uh, I think Mocha did the, did the rap at the beginning. So... 
that that's what that was i, I never uh realized what that was yeah okay. it was mocha that was one of my favorite songs but that whole album her debut album i think if you want to talk about artists like teenage artists like brandy's and Aaliyah's and monica's like nicole had a pretty solid album i mean she had 17 on there she had um borrowed time on there um it just it was very cohesive it was a cohesive album and then her second mm -hmm. project which is probably why people don't know about it. It originally got shelved. It was supposed to be called Electric Blue, but they wow. did have a single, I'm Looking, with a video. And <laughs> for me, who downloaded it illegally on probably like Napster or something. Napster, the OG. The, yeah, the song always messed up at one part. And so that is, to, to this day, oh, when I play it, I have to oh, sing God. it like that, because it was like computerized a little bit. And the first time I realized that, it, I was like, yo, I've been singing it wrong. Like, this is a, I thought it was, oh, I thought she was ahead of her time. I thought that was a special effect, but it was just, you know, that's what you get when you download stuff. Illegal. Them corrupted files, them corrupted yeah, files. Yeah, I was just like, I was like, oh, like it's a real song. Like she didn't mess, like, okay. But no, nah, Nicole Ray. Um, wow. And then Nicole, like people think she stopped and disappeared. She did not. She actually changed her name. So now she goes by Lady Ray. Um, Lady Ray. Okay. For a while, she was in a group with uh, Terry Walker. They released uh, an album under the moniker of Lady. So they called themselves Lady. So then she started going by Lady Ray. And her actual last album was 2016. It was called Queen Alone. And I... Oh, wow would say I love it because it's not the Nicole Ray that we were introduced to when she was a teenage girl. It's very stripped down, um, strong vocals. There's it, it reminds you of like a Jasmine Sullivan or a tweet in, in the sense that mm. um, you get like these acoustic tracks, you get this live instrumentation, but she's just like pouring her heart out. So I do want people to know Nicole Ray is still here. She just goes by Lady Ray. She is still releasing music. Um, her albums are in my eyes, classic. So you definitely should go and listen to some of those. That's crazy because uh, uh, two things. So the first thing I'm dying of you getting a song from Napster because um, <laughs> there's so many songs that have a skip. Like uh, whenever I hear a DJ play, uh, was it <laughs> "Touch Me, Tease Me" with the uh, case and uh, yeah. Foxy, the second verse has a skip on there. You can tell DJ's got it from the uh, Napster. Yeah. And also, it reminds me of how Sierra. I think AOL it's on, music. Um, first AOL listen. music, yeah. <laughs> come on, <laughs> listen. That version. Oh man. <laughs> we, we I still say that. Life, yeah. We, come on now. When you you know, we were young yeah. and this is this stuff like this technology wow. was new. And instead of having to spend this money or have our parents do this, like we could just download these yeah. songs. It was so, nuts. It was yeah, everything. Like even yeah. and I think that Sierra song, that was a good one, because I still, every time I hear Sierra, I do have to say, hey, well, hey, music, first <laughs> listen. And then that Nicole Ray, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Like, I was shocked that that was not part of the song. I thought that it was like early auto-tune. I didn't know. That's crazy to me, because it's it's really, it shows we all had the same life, basically. And um, <laughs> yeah, and, and along with that, you mentioned her, she has some parallels with Gina Thompson a little bit. Because Gina yeah. Thompson, uh, she had that, uh, the things you do, also with Missy on that first yep. single. And then um, her second album got shelled. I didn't know she had and a second album it. until, yeah, four years ago. Man. That Calling You track. Calling Look. You is the best song yeah. on the album. Yeah. yeah. No, you, wow. That, that track goes so cold. And then, then she hit the song with John B. I'm like, this is nuts. Like, yeah, like, man. And this nah, shows yeah. you how, yeah, so many it's artists a... basically get, have the, the industry politics that throw them off. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, they, they end up like, 
It's funny, just like you said, it's where if you're not really a deep, deep music head who's following these artists, you, you will know. say what, what happened to them. So yeah, that's definitely a good pick there. And for my pick, so people on Twitter are gonna laugh as soon as I say it because I've I've basically mentioned them <laughs> twice and it's gone viral both times. Um mm-hmm. so DRS. DRS had a song in 1993 called Gangsta <laughs> And it's like to me, it's one of the most fascinating things in the world because it's like I said in my last time, my last tweet that, that went viral with, uh, with it, I basically said, uh, Gangsteline is the most 1993 song ever. And, it and, is. and I say that because it's like, it defined the time. It was a type song that it came, it was huge at the time. Everybody knew it, sang it every day, and you never heard it again. And like, I was just checking Billboard exactly 27 years ago to this week. It was number four on Billboard, not on R&B or hip hop, but overall Billboard. And just to just to kind of show you how big it was, this same week, that was the number four song, Gangsta Lean. Number five was Shoop. Number six mm. was just kicking it from Escape. Mm. Mariah Carey, uh, Hero, number seven. That's crazy. Number nine was Tag Team. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. That's crazy. Ten was Jean A. Hey, Mr. DJ. Eleven was Tony Braxton, Breathe Again. Tevin Campbell peaked at number 12 with Can We Talk. Tupac, Keep Your Head Up, 15. And Tony, 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 Anniversary, number 16. 93 was one of the best R&B years in history to me. Just the albums, the singles. You also had the, the H-Town knocking the boots. You had the Silk Freak Me. You had the, the for, for Big Name I said earlier, but he had that whole album about playing something a certain number of times. I'm going to just call it the Dozen, <laughs> the dozen album. And all these songs and albums that came out and with the hip-hop songs that were out, Snoop had Doggy Style and Tribe had just dropped, Wu-Tang had just dropped. This song was huge, and it's like, it came and went, and it was basically what it was was like the precursor to Crossroads. So yeah. Crossroads came, and it, it became a lot more legendary. But at the time, this song was like the perfect blend of everything that was '93. So it was the the whole LA gangster look and image was just in style. It was following up the riots. It was the same year as uh, Minutes to Society, the same year as Doggy Style, Boys in the Hood was two years before that. So it was right there in that peak time. The Chronic is just dropped. They had the look of of all the rappers. Somebody even joked and called them like uh, Bloods and what was it Bloods to Men or something on Twitter. Like Bloods somebody to just Come on joked now. and called them that because they had that look. <laughs> but then when you hear them sing, like like the vocals on there, it sounded just like everything else in '93. It had that. It was a super gospel influence, and '93 was like the mm-hmm. one of the most strongest gospel influence years. You had the everything from Escape having the um, the the um, Is My Living in Pain type track to yeah. even. All the other R&B that you had at the time had those same harmonies. So the organs coming in on it. And then the lyrics was just so over the top 93. Drop, tipping a 40 to your memory. And it was just, um, what do you say? Put them, them dice down for, the, for a second. Like, is this, it's really a gangbang song disguised as a gospel and B song. And it's like, it's one of those things that kids have never heard it before. And I, I was playing it for a young DJ who was born in 1990. And she did not believe me that it was a hit. She was like, this song could not have been big. It's it's like a mockery. She saw it as like a it's like a joke almost. And she asked like her mom. Like a weird Al Yankovic type Yeah, song. it feels like a mockery looking back at it. <laughs> she asked her mom, who was probably like 20. And her mom was like, no, that song was my favorite song then. So I had to, I had to discuss that song because it, it just shows like it kind of gets into the, the fact that a lot of songs are so big and you never hear them again. And it's like, yeah, it shows that there's a, a difference between making a, a current hit and a, a, a everlasting classic because all those songs I, I mentioned after, even kids who were born in 98 still know all those songs I mentioned, but this one just came and went. So 
It's always yeah. it's funny to go back to these type of songs and revisit and just to see like what happened. And as far as their whole story, they're actually signed the MC Hammer's group. So they came from LA, of course, but they're signed with MC Hammer, who was from the Bay. And the mm-hmm. album, I heard the album a couple years ago because I never heard it. It yeah, I, I still see never heard the album. You don't really want to hear it. They no. <laughs> yeah, it's so they basically it felt like a mockery. It felt like CB4 mm. R&B version. They're mm. trying to be like gangbang singers. So they had a second single that didn't have success. It was called Scrounge Was Get Lonely. And then, yeah. <laughs> I don't even remember that one. Wait. Yeah. So would they, would they be considered like the West Coast answer to Jodeci? Like, you know, trying nah. to take. Nah. Cause like, no. No. Cause Jodeci was still R&B. <laughs> they're trying to be like. Uh, like they're trying. They're, I'll put it this way. They had songs where they're singing about like. Even their sexual songs were overly sexual where Jodeci was still, it was still 93. So Jodeci was being more overt than, than Guy was and more overt than like, mm-hmm. than uh, maybe even the Rule Boys. But right, right, right. Jodeci was still, you know, freaking you. It wasn't called effing you, you know. <laughs> DRS, they was coming with, one song they had was, um, they have a song called N-Word with a Badge. It's like, they, they're already oh, trying wow. to be that bridge. They had a song called Mama Didn't Raise No Punk. Yeah. So it was like they're trying to go. Sounds a like bit a stage too. play, like a Tyler Perry play or something. It really it? was. It was like a mockery. It's like it, it was basically what it was. I'll say it was, it was "Don't Be a Menace," and oh, it was like yeah. "Don't Be a Menace," but like as an R and B group. I mean, I just like yeah, that's a song that you had to be there to remember. But I just want to point out again, like the songs that you named that were also like big. I don't see any Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis songs, but I do see Babyface and Elliot Reed. I'm just saying. Well, well, I mentioned the songs that was above. The number mm. two song that week was Janet Jackson again. <laughs> Who was that for this? Come on, man. Hey, look, look, look. I'm just saying, though. Huh. What was the number one song? I'm curious. Something white. <laughs> there was, uh... <laughs> that, that sounds about white. Yeah. It was like a Brian Adams song or something. No, oh, okay. All right. Some babyface like probably that. wrote, you know. Nah, he didn't write it. Nah, he didn't, but you know. <laughs> he probably worked with him one time, though. <laughs> something like that. So But nah, DRS is definitely like that's until you mentioned it to me, honestly, I had forgotten about it. Like I didn't remember. I didn't know they had a whole album. So that's news. Like I thought they were just a one well, I guess technically, I guess they were a one hit one. I thought they just released a yeah. single. And that was it. I didn't know that they actually released a full album. So I'm yeah. very curious to go listen to it, even though you said don't. I want you to hear it just, just so you can text me with some mm. jokes. Because it's like, wow. And like you said, One Hit Wonder, it's funny because I would say half of the One Hit Wonders in rap and R&B to us are not One Hit Wonders. It's just that they only had one big hit. But one big hit. Right, we were right. still fans of them. They were One Hit Wonders. Like they had that <laughs> one and nobody, nobody cared about anything else they had. So they're the, the, uh, the definition of it. And just to be, just to kind of wrap up the story with them, being that they're they're right here in LA, it's the type of thing where they actually, I think the 25 year anniversary was two years ago. They had some posters up around around town talking about, we're trying to do a reunion, but we need we need two more artists to fill in the gaps because two of our artists are unavailable. Um, so I asked somebody who knew them, they said, yeah, two of them are in jail now. So they were really about that life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That song was that song well, was authentic. I mean, I'll say they weren't they weren't yeah. front. They were singing like yeah. what they knew. So hey, it's I authentic. If nothing for... else. It, it is truly authentic. It wasn't them trying to. It sounds like a mockery, but it was it was their real life. So yeah. Wow. So so going along with that, we're gonna go ahead and put some of our favorite songs from the Corey and our favorite song <laughs> in singular <laughs> form <laughs> from the RS. <laughs> Yeah, it's only song. one. It's only one. Yeah. Only that one. We might put two. We might put their second single just for fun. 
we're gonna put that along with some some uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry and Babyface and L.A. Reid and some some other music from the artists that we discussed in this episode. It'll all be on our Spotify playlist, so it'll be a link in the show description. So at this point, let's go ahead and fast forward to the future and talk about some artists that we think you all should know about. So, E.B., who do you want to introduce to the uh, listeners? All right, it's actually somebody I just discovered. His name is Mark Ferg, and um, I think this year he released this album called Planet Earth is a Ghetto, But I Still Love You. And my favorite thing about it is it's a concept album. The album is um, talking about everything that's wrong in the world right now, from the uh, the news about uh, Breonna Taylor earlier this year, to even COVID and being in quarantine, like there are songs dedicated to that. And I don't think it's often that we get artists willing to um, go outside of the box and sing about real life stuff, you know, in the same way that a Curtis Mayfield would, like they sing about the time. So when you go back and listen to it, then you have a sense of what the world was like then outside of, you know, musical fantasies. But um, he's a, he's based out of New York, but he is, a hybrid rapper singer um he's not a drake type he's act he actually can okay. sing um and this album listening to it like i was just blown away the first time because i was like oh you're talking about being quarantined like i'm quarantined yeah like, you're talking about staying in the house and wearing a mask oh my god i got a mask on like it was that type of deal and i was like we don't get that like i i can't name anybody else who's act, act actively singing about what we're going through right now, you know, and responsibly, like he's not saying, you know, mm-hmm. it's we got COVID out here, go out and do whatever. No, he's actually <laughs> aiding and like, hey, let's get these numbers down, let's mask up, let's quarantine, do what we're supposed to do. And he he does it in a way that like the song about quarantine, it's like a love song, and he's counting down the minutes, the seconds until he gets to see the woman that he loves because they're both on quarantine, and even though they're in love, they can't be together. So Mark Ferg is definitely like one of my artists to watch and he has more albums, but this is the, the one that was released this year. And it was the first one that I actually got into and I'm going to dive into the rest. I got to check him out. Uh, who has he worked with? Uh, is anybody that you're familiar that he works with as far as other artists or? No, um, I've seen no one that he's worked with, honestly, that I knew. Mm. Got you. Okay. So Mark Ferg, I'm going to check him out for sure. Yeah. Cause um, it's crazy. You said that because it is, I've seen rappers mention quarantine recently, but it's kind of in like a joking way, or they have right, like right. like Two Chains has a song called "Quarantine Thick." So right, right, yeah. So I've seen that, but that's that's been about it. So all right, so that's Mark Ferg. Uh, for me, I'll discuss a uh, artist, more so a producer named Maxwell, but he's an artist because he has his own albums and projects. So yeah, Maxwell um, is spelled M X X W L L. So. Of course, it's not the one who we know who made Embria and all those classic albums, but it is not. It's not at all. Totally different. But he's a young cat from he's actually from Australia. He's a white cat from Australia. And I caught um, I found out about him maybe three years ago. Uh, one of my boys sent me a, a video of him making a, a beat. And he's one of those who went viral for just making songs like on Instagram, Twitter, where he's basically making the beat from scratch. So he shows you just the drums and he, he shows you each part of it. And it all flows. It's all on beat, and you hear the finished product, and it's just like, wow! Like he actually, he actually knows what he's doing. So he's the type that his style is straight up like funk. It's like that new era kind of funk synthy. Mm-hmm. It sounds very synthy, but in a, in a dope way. 
And it's where the first song I heard from him, he remixed the uh, Big Boy track. Shutterbug uh, was a track from Big Boy back in 2008 or nine. So he remixed that track and he had the talk box and everything on it. And it was just a cold track to me. And uh, from there, I've been following him and he has a lot of remixes. I actually saw him live in LA about two years ago and he he had about five remixes. Even though he responds to your DMs, he will not send you his remixes. And I'm like, I respect it. Cause it's like <laughs> a lot of times producers, like they, they can be the opposite. They want their songs to blow up. He yeah. makes those just for his performances. He doesn't want anybody else to have them. And I'm like, I respect it. Wow. He remixes the uh, the Usher, uh, You Remind Me. And there was just a bounce to it. I'm like, this is crazy. So he has a he has a couple of um, beat tapes that are more so instrumental. He has a song called Palm Trees, a song called For You, just fire to me. He had a whole album this year he released called Sheesh. And um, he has a couple dope songs on there called uh, The Things You Do. His biggest song so far, he produced a track for Ty Dolla Sign and J. Cole last summer called um, Purple Emoji. And at first, I'm like, what does that mean? Oh, Purple Emoji. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so he produced that song for them. And um, he has a couple other remixes that got big. But um, Jazzy Jeff, Snoop, everybody else has actually uh, rocked with him before. And to me, if I could compare him to anybody... I don't like saying, I mean, he has a little bit of a Battle Cat style to him, but if not Battle Cat, I would say it's, it's different. It's just that new era kind of like, if it's on the, the whole selection wavelength, Yeah, I feel like it's that kind of new era style that it's, it's futuristic, but it still has a, a real strong 80s to it. The 80s bass lines, the funk, the synth. So I want to see what, what he's going to come up with. I would say my favorite song from him overall that he's produced is probably for, uh, for Levin Cali. That's the uh, R&B mm. artist. He did a song for him called One on One. And it just sounds like some, it's one of those songs that you hear it and it's like, it just sounds like the eighties, but I can't tell you who from the eighties it sounds like. It just has a real lush production to it. I would even say on the modern tip, it sounds a little bit like something that Bruno Mars would be on. Cause it has the, you know how Bruno loves that eighties, early nineties yeah, sound. So it has yeah. those, the bridge on there is crazy. It has a, a dope build up to it. It has a dope resolution to it. So. I was just telling everybody to check out Maxwell. Once again, his name is spelled M-X-X-W-L-L. And um, with that, I think that's about all we have for this episode. Um, unfortunately, we didn't have a winner for the uh, beat match, but we're going to rely on y'all <laughs> to let us know who y'all think came through with that. Yeah. So, EB, let everybody know where to find you online. Yeah, I'm everywhere at EB for Prez. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I guess now Clubhouse. I'm EB for oh, yeah. Prez. You can always... Hit me up, send me, you know, your questions, your any polls you want us to do, your ideas. You know, we love to hear from you. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For me, I am um I'm DJ Artistic on Twitter and Instagram. So that is DJ R T I S T I C on Twitch. I'm on Twitch Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. That's twitch.tv slash R T I S T I C three one zero. I'm also on Clubhouse as well. So the same as my Instagram and Twitter, DJ R-T-I-S-T-I-C. Shout out to everybody on Clubhouse. We might have to discuss that next episode because it's, it's starting to get fascinating on there. And then um, along with that, I'll just say thank you all for listening to Behind the Wheels episode three. Make sure to join us again in two weeks. Please go ahead and give us a, a rating and, um, and review us as well on Apple Podcasts. And we have the playlist once again in the notes of this episode. It's a Spotify playlist for y'all, so stay tuned and thank you all for listening. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the lady Yahuma Sek. It's edited by Melissa D. Montz and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.
we can keep it going. Do you guys need okay. any a break or water or anything? Uh, just gotta wipe the champagne off my face from you know champagne. Gotta, <laughs> oh man! Wow. Oh, up in the oh, sky. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Woo! All right. Yeah. Uh, roll yeah. the tapes. Yep. So all right. Wow. All right. It's out of my eyes now. I can see. I can read the uh, the notes. So all right. Let's get back to it. <laughs> <laughs> 